Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Mosaic Life Podcast. Today, I am excited to be joined by the ever-inspiring Anna Bitters. Anna and I have had a great many deep and thought-provoking conversations in the past, and it was time to bring her onto the podcast. And what a conversation it was. Anna is a business coach who helps creative entrepreneurs drop the soul-sucking work and unlock a stream of dream clients. The conversation Anna and I get into, it's, it's visceral. It's going to make some people squirm thinking about their current work situations. And just know, as you listen to this, there are people like Anna who are willing to help you pursue your passions, to help turn what you enjoy doing into a profession so you don't get stuck in the hour trap, so you don't get stuck in a position where you're trying to one-up the person next to you about who can complain more or who leads the most miserable life, which is a problem that we've all been sucked into. We also dig into mental health and maintaining happiness as an entrepreneur or as a solopreneur and making sure that you don't get burnt out in the process. This was an incredible conversation and I'm excited to share it. So please welcome my good friend, Anna Bitters. How's it going? It's going. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad we're able to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Got the white noise on outside the door. She's entertained with my mom. Hopefully we will avoid any loud knocks in the middle of. (laughs) Well, I'm sure the people will understand if a child makes a noise. (laughs) It's not, not, not the biggest deal in the world. Yeah, I only get to use this equipment every once in a while, so well, it's nice. You sound crisp. You sound fantastic. Yeah, I have a blue mic and nice. um, what are these called? I don't even know the name. I got my husband. Oh, uh, Audio Technica over ear headphones. Awesome. You know, yeah. I, I I've got a blue mic as well. I've got a blue Yeti, and I, I know it was it's always been marketed as like a, a beginner podcast mic. I've had not had any problems with this mic whatsoever i absolutely love it i see no reason to upgrade yeah yeah i mean the only reason you would upgrade is if you were doing like a panel of people in a room and you needed to you know isolate out yeah yeah cool welcome anna to (laughs) to the mosaic life podcast I'm, i'm excited to to have you here because we've 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 been friends for close to a year now i think we met like last winter ish. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. It was at uh, what was that Haven Collective? Yeah. Hold on one second. You're fine. You're fine. All right, there we go. Yeah, we just had a like. I'm gonna come and I'm gonna lay on the door and make noises. <laughs> no, we're not gonna do that. We got plenty of things to play with. Yeah, yeah. And how? how remind me how old? She'll be three in November. Three in so. November. Okay. Yeah, fun age. My my sister has a a little my my little niece. um, She's two. And I get to see uh, Mm -hmm. they recently moved to North Carolina. They're coming up next weekend. So I'm really excited. I haven't seen them in a while. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So we met about a year ago. Um, I can never remember how, but uh, we met uh, in the interest of both being entrepreneurs. And um, mm-hmm. we've always had really good conversations surrounding entrepreneurship. And um, with this shift in the podcast, um, I think it opened up the door a little bit wider for us to have this conversation. I'm just, re- I'm really excited about it. And I, I, I'm going to do my best to, we can talk about whatever, but I'm going to do my best to avoid talking specifically about COVID because there are so many things and resources that entrepreneurs need in, in the interest of happiness and, and well-being that extend far beyond 2020. And you are the expert in that. And I, I look forward to, to, to talking with you through, uh, through some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, honestly, I don't see a whole lot of differences in my life now versus before, yeah. like, you know, like entrepreneur life is always a roller coaster and bringing a kid into the mix is just <laughs> dynamic. Uh, if anything, it just has a, limited the amount of external resources that are available to you yeah which i didn't really lean on a lot of those anyway so yeah i'm that, pretty much just kind of living the same life no, i'm just not spending a whole lot of time at networking <laughs> you're absolutely right and that's that's a very good point it's a, a very good distinction when it comes to external resources in the interest of budget savings you have to really be able to provide most of your own resources uh, especially when it comes to Things like, well, you know, so for me, I'm a, I'm a web developer and I, I, I'm good enough of a graphic designer that if I can, you know, do a project fully in-house, I'm going to do that because that's going to save me a lot of money. Or, you know, I'm actually right now working on a project that uh, with a graphic designer you referred to me, so which I appreciate. So when you have the, the I guess, the, the money or, or the, the budgetary resources to bring more expertise in it's great but you have to be very frugal and be very willing to adapt as an entrepreneur and that's you know when you say that not having access to all of that because of covid it's it's very interesting it's a good realization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah one thing i want to jump right into is most of the conversations that we've had are a lot of them have been about you know how we can help entrepreneurs and how we can provide resources specifically for solopreneurs. And I'm interested in your experience working with people who are working for themselves and fending for themselves, not out of necessity or not necessarily out of necessity, but because that's their choice. They don't necessarily want to grow to a point where they need to bring on additional help. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what's been your yeah. experience with that? I think people come into it a lot of different ways. Sometimes it is because they they hit a wall in what I like to call like the J-O-B, yeah. you know, it's like the, the nine to five um, work a day life that just doesn't fit them. And maybe they've, you know, freelanced on the side or they've had some sort of side gig and they just come to this realization that that's not serving them anymore. And they want to be their own boss. They want to make their own path. And the easiest way to do that is to start doing your own thing and figuring things out as you go. Some people take the leap and leave the job and, you know, put all the pressure on the success and see how that goes. Some people hold on to the the safety net of having a job for a while, and that could slow the progress down a bit. It really just kind of depends on, you know, their level of risk aversion or how much they embrace risk yeah. and where that takes them. What, um, 
remind me, and I know we've talked about it, but what was when you when you decided to what was your your previous job as you, as you call it? What what made you decide to to leave that in pursuit of of, of uh, your work? Yeah, I had a lot of I had a lot of jobs in my career for different um, companies, and some of them I really enjoyed the teams that I was with. Other ones, you know, they weren't as fulfilling. Right. But I just I hit a wall where I felt like no job description that I was looking at could contain me. Yeah, it was like, oh, oh, okay. I I guess I could do that and that. Is that it? Is that all? Okay, can I do things outside of that? And it was like, no, they want you to come in and they want you to be that role and do that thing every day. And it just became suffocating for me. And so I had to just let that all go. And I had been, I mean, I think I have freelanced as long as I have had jobs as well. You know, like I've always had something on the side to like keep my interest going in different areas because a job never really did serve all of my expression. Um, but yeah, I, I took the I took the leap. It's been almost six years ago now, and it was really you know kind of uncertain at first. But once I had my first huge success and my first failure and survived both of them, I was like, oh, okay, you know, let's keep yeah. doing this. And I'd say probably the first three years, I would go back on to you know, the job sites like Indeed or looked on, look on LinkedIn. And when I got that, that sinking feeling or like claustrophobia, when I would read through a job description, I was like, nope, I'm still in the right space. I'm still, you know, determined as all get out to make it through this. You know, I've recently realized through job descriptions that's, I I can't stand the way they're written. And, And really there is a very close parallel to the way People write job descriptions versus the way people write dating profiles. In essence, they, <laughs> they want the things that the previous relationship did not fulfill. And so they list out this whole wish list that either one, any person that can fill all of these light items is going to be way above budget for you. You're not going to be able to afford them. No, I've, I've worked with, I mean, I worked in human resources at one point in my career. I wrote job descriptions. It's a really hard thing to take, you know, a basic list of words and capture the right people, you know, into the interview process. I even remember one interview I was on, I, I coached them through how they really needed like this resource and this resource and not to hire for the position that they interviewed. And they were confused. They're like, well, don't you want this position? And I'm like, not if it's not the thing you need. Right. And later down the road, I was talking with somebody who is in my network and she was like, oh, I just I just got a contract with such and such. And I was like, oh, great. They listened to me. You know, it's <laughs> it's hard to be on the inside and figure out what you need from the outside. So like there's a you know, and there's not a lot of training on how to write those job descriptions either. A lot of times it's somebody who's just sort of moved up in the ranks and they're in that spot and they're you know, being forced to to make the best of their resources available. But for me, I there's just there's a different mindset, I think, in the work that you and I do. Yeah. I think there is a you know, you embrace risk and you have an entrepreneurial mindset as opposed to an employee mindset. Like I might discuss something with my husband and he's like, oh, well, why would we do that? Like, well, we use the resources we have. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm planning for the resources I don't even need yet. And he just that's something that doesn't factor into his world. Now, if he was in 
entrepreneurial life, maybe he would adapt to that and figure out how to predict those needs. But I think that there's something just ingrained in me that just, I just want to keep learning. I want to keep discovering. I want to keep connecting. And there isn't a role that I know of that can, like I said earlier, contain that at this point, maybe I'll discover something along the line. I never want to say never. Right. Um, yeah. Or, you know, failure, you mentioned failure earlier and, and when you hit that point of failure and you realize that is not the end of the line for you, it's just a, a, a bump for you to do exactly what you just said, learn, learn more. That's, I, that's probably in my mind, one of the biggest distinguishing factors between an employee versus an entrepreneur. You're just always looking to expand what you know, what resources you can provide yourself, what resources you can provide your clients. Whereas, you know, as an employee, what incentive do you really have to continue pushing the boundaries of that box. I mean, you can get a raise or promotion if you've got a great supervisor or manager who recognizes talent, but in this world, it seems like that seem that that's becoming farther or fewer and farther between, which is, it's sad. Mm -hmm. It makes me, you know, it makes, I'm willing to say never, I'm willing to say that I'm, I'm never, unless, <laughs> unless something catastrophic happens, I'm willing to say I'm never going back into the workforce like that just because I, like you, I see a job description or I, I hear horror stories of people just dealing with so much stress and anxiety in, in their work that I, I, I've been there and I, I, I can't fathom feeling that way again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's ways to make your entrepreneurial life less, you know, less of a roller coaster, more sustainable, more predictable. And I think that's something that I've, I've learned over time is, is how to sort of, you know, there's no such thing as pure future proofing, but there right. are ways to put systems and processes and, you know, create your income in a way that it's a little bit more predictable. Um, but yeah, so, but then, you know, the, the feelings you have, your aversion to going back into the workforce per se is sometimes the same aversion I hear from people who for some one reason or another, they, they don't have the job anymore, whether it's a right. layoff or they've been fired or they had to relocate or there's some sort of issue that they just can't work in the, the previous job they were in. And they try out the entrepreneurial life and that is just miserable for yeah. them. It's not their fit. It's not the right place to be. And it's it's not like, in my mind, the pinnacle of everyone out there is yeah. to own their own business and to do this thing. It's really about finding what your motivations are, what lights you up, what you get most excited about. Some of my clients find out that they really enjoyed a team dynamic that they had early in their career and they haven't been able to find that. And it wasn't starting their own business that would solve right. that gap. So it's like, okay, let's get you back into more of like a career counseling, career coaching sphere so you can find the right team and the right company to work for. Because there are some companies that do an amazing job of there making are. the employees part of the, you know, part of the team and incentivizing their, you know, their growth. And, and yeah. I've been on with some of those companies, but ultimately for myself, my own my own business baby, this thing that I've created that I own all the pieces of is, you know, yeah. far and away my favorite. I get it. <laughs> it's my, yeah. it at this point, it's my calling and I, I've embraced it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very good point. I mean, you can have the best job in the world 
And if you just don't have good leadership, you're going to be miserable. I mean, to me, it's like thinking back at a college. I could have, I could be in the most interesting class. Like to me, I love space. I could be in an astronomy class, but if I have a piss poor professor, it's going to be a nightmare for me. So having that strong team at your side, having the strong leadership, that is what's most important. It's an unfortunate, it is extremely unfortunate that people who are not qualified to lead somehow make it up the ranks in companies. And I think that has mm-hmm. to be where a lot of these issues stem from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talking about systems and processes, because that's your bread and butter. T- tell me about some of yours. Tell me about how over the last six years, you've really perfected your systems that have gone into your work. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of power in the systems that we use. I think there are um, situations where your mindset gets in the way of a system use. So I think it's something that has to be worked on simultaneously. Sometimes I will refer to it as like, you know, I help people work through the the mindset and the mechanics of doing business. Um, On the mechanics side, I've discovered that there can be this paralyzing effect when you look at all of the tools and systems that are available to you Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur. And before you know it, it's $15 a month for this and 30 for that. And before you, when you take a look at your, your, your profit, your loss, you're like, Oh, Oh. my expenses are really heavy on these systems. Um, and it could be affecting your profits. So I've tried to not look at the, you know, the shiny, fancy, um, high ticket systems that I think are going to solve all of my problems. And I try to start as bare bones, basic as I can until I feel like that system can't hold me anymore. So like one of the best systems that I started off with was spreadsheets, just keeping the data very clean and organized of like, Oh, this is, you know, these are the people that I want to talk to. Here's what I know. Instead of investing in, you know, hundred dollars a month in CRMs right. or, you know, yeah, it, lead it. lead generation resources and all of those things. Um, you know, I'm at that point in my business now where I'm starting to implement CRMs that build into all of my other systems, and one feeds into the other, and I'm hiring people to create the proper flow through my pipeline and those sorts of things. But that didn't come on day one. Um, it's it's it happens early on right you're like i have to have my company name i have to have a logo i have to have this that and the yes. other all those have to haves yeah sometimes are just mental blocks for doing the work you need to do yeah yeah i i agree with you and i i look at my credit card statements every month and i realize i am spending too much on um software as a surface uh, everything from, oh, I need Adobe Cloud because I've got to do all this design work. I need uh, Sendable so I can schedule my, my client's social. Uh, obviously, all everything that goes into hosting and all of that. And so, I, so you, I, you have to really know what you're worth as an entrepreneur because you can have all these expensive and they are fixed costs. But if you're not charging enough because you don't believe in yourself enough to ask Instead of asking for $25 an hour, you're worth 50. If, you, if you're not comfortable asking for that, then, you know, that's not going to do you any good. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another problem that early entrepreneurs get into is they get into the hour trap of trading time for money. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't account for all of your experience, the systems that you have in place, the the work you do in between the hours uh, spent on that. I never early on gave myself credit for all of the mind energy that was spent on thinking through like, oh, I've brought this client on. I, you know, I want to know everything about them. And I'm constantly thinking about them. Right. When I see a movie, when I read a book, like ideas are flowing through. If I only charged for the hour that I was on the phone with that person, I would never get ahead. I would just be, you know, I'd be trying to work 80 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, nobody wants to do that. And, you know, I, I think one of the one of the biggest realizations I had when I went off on my own people to me at networking events, anywhere you you'd go, you'd always wear the number of hours you work in a week as a badge of honor. And to me, I, that's never made sense. Like I, I working for somebody else, I'm not going to brag about working 60 hours working mm -hmm. for myself. In essence, I never stopped working. And that's, that's not, that's not a brag. I'm not trying to say, Oh, I'm, I'm always, that's, that's just not what I, I enjoy the work so much that it doesn't matter to me, like whether or not I'm working at midnight or I'm working at two in the afternoon, I'm going to put in the work that I need to do to get my clients. So to help them see the see the success that they want. And so I, I, I've never, I just, I never got that. Like I, I, who cares if you work 80 hours, do you enjoy the work? Is it something that is adding fulfillment and happiness to your life? Great. That's all that mm -hmm. matters. Yeah, that's kind of in the in the realm of the venting or the, you know, competition for the worst case scenario yes. that we do that we sometimes we get into that trap as humans like, oh, you think you've got it bad. <laughs> Just wait till you hear my story. It's hard to shift yourself into like a, a, a brag that's actually a healthy brag. Like, I know. oh, yeah, I actually on Tuesday, I took a soaking bath in the middle of my day and, you know, because I know what I need to do to serve my clients, to build my business. And I know I'm probably going to have like that power hour from like 11 p.m. to midnight and right. some crazy great stuff is going to come out of that moment. I'm going to take some time for myself, myself in the middle of the day so I have the energy later. That's something... I just feel like it was never afforded to me in the workspace. Yeah. Uh, you know, the dirty word of like micromanaging. It was like, where are you spending your time? How are you getting these things done? Yeah. In my business, you know, I can be the best boss or the worst boss. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's all on me to figure out how to make it work. So and that never but that, that's not to say that I didn't really overdo it early on and put in the 80 hours right. and, you know, close the really big proposals that were you know, probably well out of my scope and still managed to pull it off. Um, it's just a, that, that turns into a cycle of burnout. It does. And going back, that never made sense to me why it's so culturally, and I'm assuming culturally, you know, here in the, the Western states, acceptable to bitch and moan about things and, and just openly, just anybody, you know, somebody asks you how you're doing in the elevator. Oh, you know, my, my cat puked this morning and I, <laughs> I'm miserable. Like, why is that okay? But it's not okay to say, yeah, I just closed this major deal. I made, you know, $20,000 on this, you know, $200,000 deal. That's amazing. I'm celebrating. I'm so happy. It just, it seems people look down upon that so much as opposed to 
commiserating and misery. And I, I, I can't stand that. That has to be a mentality that shifts at some point in time or else we're always going to be miserable as a workforce, mm-hmm. as a society. And I, it's, I, I can't stand that. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a, a level setting. Like you're coming to the table and saying like, Hey, bad things happen to me too. So like, we're going to lower everyone's expectations a yeah. little bit, <laughs> you know, like if they have anything bad going on, they're like, Oh good. Somebody else is suffering. Uh, it's, it's hard to celebrate together. It is. It is. I don't know. I'm not hundred percent sure why it's so difficult for like you said, as a society to, to celebrate things. Um, but yeah, no, it, it happens to me. I see somebody celebrating and there's like that little twinge of, of jealousy in the back of my head. And I'm like, well, what's that about? Right. And that's where the mindset work comes in. It's so powerful to actually unpack your, your reactions, why you reach for a distraction, you know, all of the things that, you know, get in the way of your success and your happiness. Yeah. So we uh, yesterday we were talking a little bit. I don't think it was yesterday. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> the the days all blur together. Uh, we yeah. we. I'm jealous of you. I'm envious of you because you have a virtual assistant, and I've been wanting to explore <laughs> that uh, for for some time. As as the, as the calendar gets more and more packed full, and just trying to make sure that nothing slips through the cracks. And so I I guess you're the first person I'm talking with who is actually employing one. And I'm how does that work? I mean. How does that from A to Z, how does that process work for you? Yeah, that I was in the same boat on the other side, right? I was like, these people are talking about having assistance. I'm so far from being able to make that leap. Um, I can't even remember where the idea first came into my mind. I feel like it was a, a networking event where I heard somebody talking about how they had gotten a lead magnet knocked yeah. out by using virtual assistant. And I was like, okay. And then I had another friend who was using some virtual assistant work. And, you know, some people are using like Upwork and Fiverr to find these mm-hmm. resources. Uh, but personally, I had two instances in the same week where somebody had shared with me, oh, I made this progress on this thing that I had been putting off or avoiding by utilizing a virtual assistant. It was like, oh, tell me more. And I talked to them about it. It turned out those two people that shared it with me the same week shared the same person's name. And I was like, oh, this was meant to be. Yeah. So I so I reached out to the person. And the point of entry is a lot lower than the perception is. Like you okay. think, oh, I have to like, I have to hire this person and give them health insurance or right. something. You know, like maybe your brain goes that direction. You can start off by buying a small bucket of hours at an hourly rate to just start delegating some of the things that are repetitive on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And the best piece of advice I ever got from another coach was saying, like, just give them one thing to own. Yeah. And start with that. So to where I started is I bought a bucket of 10 hours that I had two months to use. Oh, wow. Okay. So we're talking really small investment. Yeah. And I was reluctant about it and I didn't move on it very well. Like I was like, mm, I don't want to give up this stuff because I can do it better and faster. But as <laughs> that's as my I biggest problem of that yeah. a little bit. I right. Yeah. I saw I saw how how she could support me. And then I put on a, a pressure because I'm somebody who accomplishes c- accomplishes things through time pressure. Yeah. 
meaning like when I'm up against some sort of deadline imagined or real, it helps me move things forward. So I put time pressure on my engagement with her because I wasn't moving the direction I want. I said, let's put 30 minutes on the schedule, like two, three days a week. And if I don't show up to those and do the thing with you and move forward, you bill me for those. I like it. And that was a game changer. I like now it. it's to the point where I'm like, she, she, you know, she's got other clients as well. She's right. not just my assistant. So I brought on three more. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now I have four people that I can go, Hey, I've got a bucket of hours with this person and this person. And I'm just, I'm moving the things forward and I'm keeping an eye on it. That it's not yet another system or crutch that's outside of my, my growth and my scaling. So what are you delegating to them? You don't have to get too deep into the weeds. I'm just curious what it is that you're trusting these people with. Essentially, your reputation, you're, you're handing it over to them. So what is it that, uh, that you're delegating? At this point, my, my, my main VA, the person I trust very much, has access to my, my banking, my CRM, my oh, email, wow. like all yeah. the things. But that was a, a gradual trust and support that was built up. Sure. Um, I have somebody to help me with moderating uh, some of my my audience and communities and social media. I have um, somebody who's particularly good at the, the task management sort of Trello space, and we're working in there. Um, as I mentioned earlier, somebody who's helping us through the follow-up system. Yeah. Um, where I started was just as simple as like, I know I'm supposed to have my email set up so that I can send emails to my email list. And I have a growing list that's just kind of sitting there dormant. And I was like, can you make that happen for me? And we just worked through that. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love that. So they're helping you with your social media. And uh, that's, I did want to talk about that because we, we've had conversations about social media before and my aversion to it and in your your, I, I don't know if I want to say love of it. Maybe it's a love, but you're, you're, you really enjoy engaging with audiences on, on Facebook is what I see the most. And what I'm, I personally try to wrap my head around what mentality, mm-hmm. you know, that, that must take to really have, or not to really give yourself the time to get people's opinions on things, you know, share content. I mean, I understand the value of, you know, for this particular episode, putting it out to our audiences because we want people to hear it. We want to use it as a marketing tool. So how does that work in your mind? Because like I said, we've had these conversations before and it doesn't, doesn't click for me. Yeah. There was a really big shift for me. Um, I'm trying to think when the shift happened, I think it was because I was, I I did not like social media. I didn't like putting my private life out there for anyone to see. Uh, It's not necessarily like a paranoid, but it was just like, you know what? This is none of your business. Like private person. All my profiles were private. I never, I never friended quote unquote, somebody (laughs) who I hadn't met in person. Um, And then I guess it was my, when my, my kid was born, it was like, there was a lot of time (laughs) on my hands and I started just in my little closed group, sharing more and more information about kind of like what what I was going through and it created this support system for me. And I felt like I was heard after that was established for a little while. I was working with a client. I was helping them with their social media. I was figuring out more of the ropes and I was seeing that it wasn't such a scary place and that there was a way to share information without 
giving away, you know, everything about your life. And so I, I decided to like open up the floodgates. If somebody wanted to connect with me and we had never met, I was just going to change the way I talked about things on social media so that if I shared something, I would be fine with a complete random stranger down the street who could be a good or a bad person coming across it. That makes sense. And that was like, that was my shift. Then I learned how to create more closed communities so that there could be more openness. And I think that that's a really good way for an entrepreneur to start off is, is with those training wheels of sharing, but not sharing so openly. Like to this day, I'm still not very comfortable just jumping on Instagram and just talking through the video because there is no Uh, limiting. You can't limit the, you know, the audience in any way. I know. So, that's something that I I hope to figure out the balance in in the future. So it's funny when you were like, oh, you're in the, you know, you love social media. I really did not <laughs> like social media. I was like, I'm going to have to hire for this. I'm going to have to completely just get rid of it so I never have to deal with it. Yeah. And then little by little, I started getting more comfortable. And I found that I really have, there's, there's an art to engaging people and asking them questions in an appropriate way and not asking them too much so that you can learn more about them so that you can ultimately serve them. If it is for your business, I think early on, I felt like social media was a sharky sales technique because that's all that I saw coming into me when I found the right coaches and mentors in a space where I saw them being vulnerable and leading with service first and not sales, Mm -hmm. I started to adopt that mentality because it was a mentality I already had with my word of mouth business. But I was like, wow, I can expand my reach with my genuine personality, with my love of actually getting to know people, but through this channel. Yeah. See, my problem was I was the opposite for a long, long time. I I guess I could consider myself a fairly early adopter of Facebook. I was I joined when you could still only join if you were in college, if you weren't in one of the bigger colleges. Um, Same twi- here. Twitter, I hesitated a bit on. Um, and then LinkedIn, I, I refused to join until I think after college. <laughs> Um, but I will say, you know, if I were ever to run for president, I'd have to delete all of my profiles because I was just that much of an oversharer. And I, <laughs> sometimes I, I go back and look at the, the memories on Facebook and, and it's cringeworthy, but it, it is, it, it is who I was. And it's just, it's been interesting. You mentioned seeing different trends and, uh, the way, the ways people operate on social media evolve over the years now, like on LinkedIn, if, if somebody random connects with you, I'm generally happy to do so, but I can't tell you the number of times I just, I've received automated after automated message, you know, with a sales pitch, like that does not, I don't know who that works on, but you're, I'm not in that subset and I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get the per like, is it a numbers game is if they think they send a thousand messages, are they going to get two or three? I, I just, I, I don't get that to me if you're going to really take advantage of these platforms you have to have that that genuine connection like that you're you're talking about you really have to know somebody and 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 trust them 
Yeah. I, yeah. I use social media as a relationship building tool. Yes. And then I allow my my personality, my expertise, my savvy to close the deal. You're savvy. When it's like appro- when it's appropriate, yeah. right? Yeah. Like I I think as as aspiring entrepreneurs or even early stage entrepreneurs, there's a feeling of, yeah, I have this skill set. Yeah, I'm really good at it. But isn't everybody else? Mm-hmm. And what what you find when you start to find your zone of genius and all of these unique aspects that you have is there are things that you find really enjoyable, easy to do. They light you up. And there are so many humans on this planet that there are plenty of people that that doesn't come easy to. Yeah. They don't enjoy doing it and it doesn't light them up. And it's just a matter of building relationships until those connections are made. Yeah. I like it's so you- much more powerful when someone brings someone to me. Yeah. To say, hey, I would, I oh, think they sure. could use you for versus sure. me going to that person and going, you can use me. And yeah. they're like, okay. I, 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 <laughs> you know, like- I'm so thankful that I have not, in my business, I have not had to cold call. Uh, building relationships and, and networking, and that's just, it's done wonders for, for my professional life. That I, I, I having, I, I, I've had to cold call in the past. I've had sales jobs and having that, uh, that luxury of not having to do so here. It's just, it's so, so empowering. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking about that, that stuff that's coming in from LinkedIn, I always assume positive intent always sure, sure. because we never really know where somebody is coming from. And in those scenarios, what often happens is it's an entrepreneur. They're not really sure how to get to where they want to be. The person that they get their advice from tells them you need to use this software that's going to create up, you know, four triggered messages that when they respond with this, it's going to get that. And then they just they leave these which are really like gray hat SEO type practices. They're not really (laughs) they're not really above bar and they're not really, you know, not allowed. And they they use that to try to to throw spaghetti more spaghetti yeah. at a bigger wall and just right. hope for the best yeah i i i you're you're 100 correct i just after you know hearing from 1800 uh financial planners you know it starts to wear on you a bit right right yeah. but if i got to know that financial yeah. planner and felt that you know i could trust them and there you know there's a good relationship it's going to be a lot easier when something financial comes up in my life. And I think of that person, you know, I am, if somebody is offering to buy me coffee, even now, as people are starting to get a little bit more comfortable in with in-person meetings again, I will take that coffee and I will sit down with somebody (laughs) for an hour. I love coffee and I love making connections and relationships. And even if you're a financial planner and I'm not switching again, that's not something I'm going to do. But if I think I can refer you to somebody, I'm happy to do so because you're, you're taking the time out of your day to build a genuine connection. And I am willing to go to, to lend an hour of my time to connect with you. That's like when you're dating analogy early on, you know, you're like, it's courting, right? You're like, right. okay, I'll let you buy me dinner. Yes. I'm not looking for anybody right now, but you never know. I might know a friend that's single or. <laughs> I've never had that experience. Nobody's ever offered to buy me dinner. I wonder why. <laughs> well, you probably didn't use online dating. Then. Oh, I, I did. I, I did plenty of that back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. The societal norms say that they shouldn't buy you dinner, which right. is messed up. 
Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy. I'll buy you dinner. My husband. I'll get my husband's. You know. Hey. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. That sounds good. We still need a rock climb. Um. And we talked about doing that at some point. Yeah. Um, for sure. You said you said zone of genius, and I don't know what it means, but I love the sound hmm. of it. I want you to dig into that more. Sure. Sure. That is um, a term that was originally in. Gay Hendrix, The Big Leap. Oh, my God. I cannot. Everybody's wrecking that. I've, I've had at least two or three guests <laughs> on this podcast say that is an amazing book, Ernie himself included. So I, I've yeah. been trying to find it. I need to get it. I don't recommend the audio book. The, the author reads it and he has a, a just a gruff voice. <laughs> OK, he sh- if if if, <laughs> if this makes it to Gay Hendrix, hire a really good audiobook reader and come on this podcast Uh, (laughs) um but yeah no it's a it's a book that has some really great concepts in it some things didn't land with me i had heard the term from somebody else before and i was like i want to know where that comes from but essentially the zone of genius is finding out where that space is of what you love to do you know the what lights you up what you're really really good at you know what kind of makes the time disappear like that's one of the things i ask a lot of questions in my my community is things about like if you you know didn't have to work another day in your life what would you do or if you could do one thing for free what would it be or basically all of the same questions around this idea of like what is this thing that doesn't feel like work or what is the thing that you're so driven to do even if you weren't getting paid, like you'd still wake up and do the thing. Yeah. So it's the, it's your, it's your calling. It's your secret sauce. It's your zone of genius, whatever you call it. I love that. It's the thing that you just, you have to keep doing. So I, um, I don't know if, or how often you listen to this podcast, you can certainly say never, which is completely fine. Hopefully you listen to this episode, but, um, I just had a conversation with a, a woman, uh, um, her name's AJ Copeland. Uh, she's actually an old podcast fan from back in the day. She's out, she's out of Oxford, Ox, Oxnard, California. Uh, she recently left her job. She was a entrepreneur. She was a, um, or I guess she owned her own hair styling studio and i'm I'm probably not Mm -hmm. saying that right but uh she left that to become an artist and she has since commissioned her 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 first and many other paintings which it's incredible i mean that that's that that is an art artist's dream come true in my mind and so it really Mm -hmm. you talk about zone of genius and it really seems like that's that is the crux of it that is it you know knowing that you want to wake up every morning and, and paint these you know these amazing pieces that's uh it's awe-inspiring to me thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this the entrepreneurial journey is not easy. No, like you can do it. You can do it with ease and pleasure, but it's not easy. What have been? Some it can years? be simple, but it's not easy. And so you've got to be doing something that you're so passionate about for sure. That when the roadblocks come in, the side steps, you just go, okay, let's find a way around this thing. Yeah. What have been some of your biggest struggles and hurdles as an entrepreneur, especially in the, I mean, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a mother, you know, as anything over the last, you know, six to 10 years? Yeah. I think one of the reasons I work with my clients a lot on mindset is because I think that my mind is probably my biggest challenge. You know, I've, I've had the mental health struggles. I've had the self-doubt. I've had the perfectionism and procrastination. I've had the the gamut of brain blocks, if you will, in between 
where I want to be and where I am. Yeah. And I know, I know, um, one of the first times we talked, at least near the beginning of our relationship, I don't remember when, uh, we, he mentioned, um, DBT, dialectical behavioral mm-hmm. therapy, and it, that just you know clicked in my mind because Lisa Bond, uh, she was actually the first guest on this podcast, and uh, that's obviously her specialty. And so seeing you two connect and just talk, and I, I really love making these connections of people who can help each other. And it's just the the work that she does, and 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 knowing the, you know the things that uh, you've told me that you've been through, you know these are things that people struggle with day in and day out, and knowing when it's time to say, Hey, I need help with this. That's, that's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so taboo. I really wish we could get to a point where, you know, it's like, Hey, I, you know, I can't see the chalkboard, you know, to the, use the going back to school, you yeah. need glasses or, um, people don't want to, you know, false. like you get your teeth cleaned. Yeah. If, if we treated mental health as a regular routine checkup yeah. instead of a, and go when it's, broken or the wheels have fallen off, we'd be a different society because there's so, there's so much, if I, you know, like fear around it, that when I give into this, it means I'm, I'm broken. I'm crazy. I can't do this on my own. When in reality, now as an entrepreneur, I have a therapist, a spiritual coach, a business coach, a mindset coach, a pleasure coach, you know, like I have this, this force of people that keep all of those things in check so that I'm not alone in this journey. I think that's probably the best thing in my opinion about being an entrepreneur is you always get to pick your team. Yeah. If one of the people that you have hired or, you know, that you're working with, I don't ever say working for, I work with my clients. Like I can let them go to rebalance and recalibrate this, this, you know, Goliath of a, of a force that I've created. And I don't think that's something a lot of people realize is, you know, when you're in a corporate environment that you don't enjoy, you can either quit and fight and face, you know, financial insecurity, or you can suck it up, buttercup. But when mm-hmm. it comes to <laughs> stress and working for yourself, if a client is providing that stress or a contractor, you're not obligated. I mean, you, you maybe you're obligated to finish a project, but you're not obligated to continue a relationship with them. And you have, you hopefully have other clients to continue sustaining you. Like you, you mm-hmm. can, you choose, you choose your own adventure. You choose the path you want to be on. You choose, you know, how you are willing or what you're willing to bring into your life in regard to work and happiness and fulfillment and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. be- and if you work on your mindset and you focus on relationships and you, you, you know, you build your business in that way, yeah. you'll have your pick of people when you're being genuine and you will, you know, operating in integrity. And that becomes, I mean, that becomes, so that's part, that is as important as part of your reputation in both business and personal relationships as anything else. You can be, you can be the best web developer in the entire world. But if you have a poor track record working with clients that will get around and you will not hire a damn person from it. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to have that positive mindset. Yeah. And it's uh, okay to quit even your own yeah, business. Yeah, for sure. You know? Failure is a failure is an imminent part of, of, of running your own business of entrepreneurship. I was actually on a, uh, it was, it was, this was part of a CYP earlier today. It was, a, it was an executive forum 
and uh, there's this one speaker, and he said something along the lines of, when he brings somebody in to work with him, he expects them to fail. And if they have the mindset and the mentality that, oh, I never fail, that's not somebody he wants to work with. And it's a mm -hmm. bit jarring hearing that at first, but if you don't give somebody an opportunity to try new things and to fail at them and to learn from that failure, then how are you ever going to grow? Your business, yourself, I mean, there's, there's just, mm -hmm. there's no opportunity there. I feel like I, I've identified where that came from because it's been a huge struggle for me to see something, label it as a fail failure yeah. and then move on. I, I've, I'm sort of this, you know, optimistic, everything's a learning opportunity. There are no failures, just more opportunities. Right. And I found that that was actually a little detrimental that I didn't stop recognize the failure sit yeah. in that for a moment so that I could learn from it and what I've come to to realize is it really comes back to our schooling yes. where a, the a was something you were supposed to have even on day one like yeah. come in you're in the class for a certain amount of time you're introduced to a subject there's a quiz a test or whatever you're supposed to get an a on that <laughs> yeah when in reality what we should be doing is we should be getting poor grades to start and by the end, we should have better grades that we show growth, but we don't have a, a schooling system or a society that says that's acceptable. No, we have a you have to get a perfect grade or else your future is doomed mentality. And I bought into that. Right. Like yeah. I never allowed myself to not have an A. I was so hard on myself if I got anything lower when what that created was me being in spaces that I knew I could master, I wasn't putting myself in spaces that really challenged what I knew and what I could learn. Right. And so that's what I've shifted. It's like, I'm going to start putting myself in positions where I'm probably going to fail. There's a good chance that I could, you know, get something out of this. There'll be a learning experience, but the first time I'm going into this, let's make this as messy as possible. <laughs> dive right in. I mean, I'm not going to do anything out of integrity yeah. and like sabotage, but right. I'm also not going to just sit in the paralysis of perfectionism, which is, you know, what I feel like my, my upbringing, my schooling, yeah. my own mental, you know, decision that I had to be perfect. Those are the layers that I feel like we're, we're peeling back year after year. I know it's super trite and cliche uh but i think was it thomas edison who said i didn't fail a thousand times i figured out a thousand different ways how to not create a light bulb or something like that right right yeah. right yeah. right um yeah so you said you were in, talking about coaches i just because i need to scratch this itch you, you mentioned <laughs> a variety of different coaches and i just i need what's a pleasure coach because where my mind goes <laughs> Probably not where the, the, the actual coach goes. So I'm not, I'm yeah. curious. <laughs> it's, it's something that's a, a newer concept to me as well. But essentially, like the, when we hear the word pleasure, we think that it's like sexually related. Sure. Um, but in reality, it could be as simple as like when you're eating a meal, you're appreciating the sense yeah. and the taste and the experience of that. Um, when you are you know, outside walking, you're appreciating the breeze and the birds and the plants around you. So it's, it's about slowing down and, and recognizing pleasure in things and also stopping when you're doing something in business or in life that is a should, a, should do or a have to do 
uh, that isn't serving you. So you get to stop and ask yourself, like, is this, does this feel pleasurable to me? Does this feel painful? Um, I always remember like when I was a kid, like people would like specifically my mom, when I'd be assembling something, she'd be like, well, if you're forcing it, you're doing it wrong. But that didn't stick, right? Like, you know, I get into entrepreneur life and I'm like, oh, I've got to force this (laughs) jar to fit to make this win. And I think that was the discovery of of people who are in this pleasure space of this can be enjoyable. That's Um, great. You can, you can enjoy the process, but you can also sit in the, the discomfort of it. You can also sit in the failure of it and then you get to move on to the affirmations and the, the gratitude and the mindset. That's so, to me, a lot, most things nowadays seem, seem to, be filtered through either a Buddhist or a meditative lens. And that, you know, just meditating while you're eating, while you're washing dishes, dishes and just thinking about and appreciating every stroke of the, of the sponge or every bite you take, every, every note of flavor. That's not something that many people seem to be capable of doing nowadays with, with constant distractions. And it's being able to slow down and just not worry about anything else and just let your mind go wherever it'll go. It's just, it's very, very, there's a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. A lot of value. Yeah, in I like, I like um, the author Nirael, who wrote Indistractable. I, he, you, I think you recommended that book to me and I have not gotten it yet. I need to. <laughs> You've got a long book list. I'm not going to hold do. it against you. I do. But essentially he was saying that time management is pain management. Time management. Because... Because when we're when we're uncomfortable or we're sitting in something uncomfortable, we tend to reach for distractions do. or do the shallow work or the things that, you know, are avoidance. Because sitting in that discomfort, sitting there bored and waiting for the next idea to come, we have so many things within our reach that can, you know, stimulate us and not make us sit in that discomfort for any amount of time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It is very hard, especially with having like a mobile device in your pocket that is connected to the world. It's I know. Like, why would I sit in my own head when I could be there? <laughs> I, um, I've got a Garmin watch for, for running. And just like literally yesterday, I, I still get notifications of text messages, but I turned off the email notifications on my wrist. And I'm the last 24 hours have been amazing. It's kind of been a little bit stressful, a little bit amazing, not having to look at my watch every five minutes, seeing a new email come in. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that I work with my, my clients in group programs or individually is just finding those, those triggers that make you want to reach for that distraction and really making your technology serve you, you know, turning off the notifications, leaving the notifications on that are aspirational, like how much water you drink, how much movement you get, you know, are you doing your, you know, breathing and your mindfulness, like those things are proper interruptions. Um, but always being on and accessible as an entrepreneur, surefire way to get burnout. For sure. For sure. So speaking of which, who, who do you want to work with? I mean, who, who is your ideal client? Like who, when somebody is thinking about either becoming an entrepreneur or they are, and they're not sure which direction to turn, what do you tell them? How, how, how do you work with them? Well, one, I I love to find people who, uh, you know, consider themselves creatives, visionaries or artisans, people who their work is based on their passion, their self is the instrument of their work. 
and they have spent a lot of their time creating things or doing work that is more people pleasing or should ofs or it has to be hard because it's work. I like to find people in that that creative mindset who are just they're stuck, yeah. maybe trading hour for hour. They're stuck, um, you know, like blocking themselves from succeeding because of old programming. Um, it's somebody who who wants to get to that next level in their business, whether they're just getting started or, you know, they've hired their first agency folks and they're really not sure what's next. Um, there's a way to, to get those people pleasing behaviors that overwhelm so that they can focus on creating, they can focus on self edification. They can focus on working with the people that light them up and letting go of the rest. I love the way you just worded that. It was, it was eloquent. It was, it was straightforward. And if you, you being a listener are in that spot and you feel like you're going around and around in circles, I truthfully, Anna is just having a conversation with her. That's it's, it, I can't compliment you enough because I always seem to have breakthroughs whenever we just sit down and chat. I think the last time we sat down and chatted was prior to, to COVID hitting. Uh, we were at Cohash and it was just an awesome conversation. So I, I would highly encourage everybody who's in that position to reach out to you. Truly. I, I mean it. You have me blushing. Oh, good. Good. That's, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Um, before we wrap up, uh, because this hour freaking flew by, um, this I, I I ask this question to everybody, and I love it. I love seeing people's answers. Your answer is different than everybody else's, and mm-hmm. the, the, so the question obviously is, what book has changed your life? And your your answer is different because I don't think I've ever had somebody say a fiction book, and I'm not that that is that's certainly not a bad thing. I'm, I would I would never convey it as such. I, I love fiction. Uh, there's some some truly masterful works of art, and I, I would have to assume this is one of them. I'm just curious why or how this changed your life. Should I tell him? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving that to you. So yeah, I mean the book that when when you asked that question, I sat with it for a minute, and I was thinking, you know, maybe it's the the big leap or indistractable or story brand or one of the many you know business development or self development books. And when I reflected on it, the one that I remember being a big shift in my life was Bram Stoker's Dracula, because up to that point, like. I was a high achiever, but I was also somebody that like, when I went home at the end of the day, I felt like I had a learning disability. I felt like I couldn't read, that I couldn't comprehend. I used all kinds of tactics in schooling to write my notes a thousand times so that it became memorization. And I remember where that doodle was. And so when the the question on the test came up, I was like, oh, in my note, I wrote that thing and it's next to that word. When I read Dracula, I read it in one sitting. And I realized in that moment that I had passion for things that I just hadn't been exposed to. And that when you gave me that thing that was really intriguing and interesting, I I could do anything. I could read it. uh, I don't even know how long the book is page wise, but I could read this significant piece of literature in one sitting because it was so interesting to me. And that started to shift. You know, I started to do speaking type things and other things that like maybe weren't the things you were supposed to do to equal 
you're a smart person, you're moving along in the education system. I started to embrace my my weird, if you will, like <laughs> I love that. I love that. Embracing your weird. That's that's perfect. I think I stole that. I think that's a book title, too. So be careful. <laughs> a lot of the words okay. I say, I'm like, is that a book title or is that my own words? <laughs> that's Felicia. Felicia Day. Embracing the oh, weird. Embrace I, the weird. I love anyway. Felicia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Well, good. I um I have never read Jack Dracula. I I will have to now. It, it is it is going on yeah. the official Mosaic Life book list. <laughs> it and, may not uh, be the thing that you light up about. You might get a little bit into this and like I have no idea what she saw in this, <laughs> and that's okay. It is okay because we all get to we all get to love different things and work differently. For sure. What I love about books, what I've always loved about books, is that you can have a million different people reading a book, and there's going to be a million different stories that are told in a million different minds. It's different for everybody, which I, I don't mm -hmm. think you, I, you can't say the exact same thing about movies or TV shows because you have those visuals that everybody sees. But with these books, you build these worlds and these universes and these stories in your mind, and, and there's just so many different interpretations that can affect the world in so many different, hopefully positive ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, for sure. So, Anna, if anybody wants to work with you, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to see all your wonderful social media content, how do they find you? Uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Anna.Bitters. If you want to find my website, it's AnnaBitters.com. Perfect. Perfect. Anna, thank you so, so much. I always enjoy talking with you. And uh, that, uh, that, uh, that, that I don't want to call it a company that that organization you and I have talked about multiple times that we didn't mention here because it's a really cool name and I don't want anybody to steal it we <laughs> we we need to get on top of that especially now so yeah. let's let's follow up on that all right all right thank you Anna it was a pleasure thank you again I want to thank Anna for joining me on the podcast I highly encourage you to check out the show notes connect with Anna especially if you're an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur or you just want to know how you can live a better life in terms that you set. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take two minutes of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps others find out about us, and it also helps me get bigger and better guests, which I think helps everybody. You can, of course, follow the podcast on Instagram at One Mosaic Life or on Facebook. Just search for The Mosaic Life Podcast. And while you're thumbing around the Internet, head over to the Mosaic Life Podcast dot com, where you can see the episode pages for all 55 previous episodes. And of course, you can see all of the books that we have ever mentioned. Thank you again so, so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. I hope it brought you value. Until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.